basically decided to come do this. And they are dog lovers. At least my ex-husband is, his youngest daughter is, and my daughter is. But I guess his wife isn't so much a dog lover. And who does the dog go for? The one who doesn't love her. Yeah. So she opens the door and Artemis goes barreling out towards, uh, towards my ex-husband's wife. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God. And we're like, just give her love. Just give her love and she will stop. She's not attacking you. She wants love. <laughs> oh, no, it's a dog. I'm scared. Don't freak out. Seriously. <laughs> oh, look hey, at everybody. that. Yeah, lots I, of people visiting us today. Hi, commenters. It's nice to see you guys. Some of you I've never heard of before this Goandi Nawa. Yeah, that one. I'm not sure what that means. All right. Can you read that for us, Jay? Oh, make sure you all smash that like button. Uh, oh, I forgot to put the emphasis on like too, but I think you guys get the idea. Smash that like button. If you um, were watching uh, Joe's Joe's bar last night, you'll understand. I I didn't watch Joe's bars la last night. Did we learn about the like button? I know, I know. I was busy oh. with the embroidery machine. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like that. You were Joe's working. I like that. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Joe. Sorry, Papa. Well, <laughs> well welcome back. This is uh, Spilling Ink or Splink, as uh, some people like to call us. Uh, and we we still don't have Jane. Jane's got all sorts of uh, stuff going on, though. So uh, Katie and I are going to do our best and to carry the show. I, I know. Look at that. We're matchy matchy tonight. Twinsies. Feeling good. It kind of feels like I'm showing you up. You can like, tell who's the host. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong show, though. <laughs> uh, but we're back. And, you know, big, exciting news for the show. I got an embroidery machine. Wait, how did you guys know about that? How did you know, Regine? Well, anyhow, we got an embroidery ma machine, so we're gonna. My wife and I are gonna start making uh, some fun, fun little stuff for an Etsy shop, and I'm sure I'll update you guys on on that once we get things going. But uh, it's it's gonna be a good time. We have to build a little embroidery and sewing room now because our kitchen table can't fit any everything anymore. Um, yeah, so I think she just wants me out of the out of the kitchen, which I don't blame her for, but. Uh, yeah, this is spilling ink. This is like writing and publishing show. Um, I'm not sure why I'm here, how I got here, even, um, but I'm here and you you're stuck with me. And then so now I'm gonna turn it over to Katie, who actually knows what she's talking about. All right. Well, as always, before we get started, we have to pay homage to our sponsor, uh, Mr. Joe Compton from Go Indie Now. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Compton, and welcome to our channel, Go Indie Now. This is the place that celebrates indie artists and indie art. And we do so by producing several shows that either air on daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal scheduling. And within those shows, we aim to educate and entertain you. If you're, if you're an indie artist who's trying to figure out how to do this, this is the place you need to be. If you're an indie artist who's looking to promote and doesn't have any avenues and, and is tired of the grind, this is the place to be. Because remember, it's always time to go and be down. That's right. Always time to go indie now. And that right there was the show we were talking about that you missed, Joe's Bar on Go Indie Now. What? So shame. For what, shame what that happened? you missed it. 
What happened? You have to go back and watch. I can't tell you. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I will I will have to go back and watch. Do they have a YouTube channel or anything like that? Absolutely. And they're in the <laughs> uh, the links below in our in our show notes. All right, but let's introduce our amazing author of the week. Kelly, welcome to the show. This is your first time, right? It's my first time. I'm a spilling ink virgin. Woohoo. Don't let Rebecca hear you say that too loudly. That's that's Katie's favorite. <laughs> It, it's great to be here, though. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the show. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. And we are talking about your latest release. Let me pull this up here. I, I was talking before the show about how much I, I adore the cover and the style of this cover. Yes. And I love the now, African gray on the cover there. They are so smart. And they can be so mean if they want to be. But uh, they're really cool birds. I actually have an African gray who is a neighbor of mine, not too far away. And I, my brother and I would walk up past him every day and he would stop and talk to us. And if we didn't stop to talk to him, he would whistle at us like, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> and so because of that, I wanted to write an African gray into the book. I, For those who don't know, in every book that I have, there are some major animal characters that play pivotal parts in solving the mysteries. And so it was fun to write an African gray and uh, give my neighbor and uh, the parrot a copy, a proof copy of the book early on to thank them for being in it. Aww, that's so that's really fun. And, and, and grays for, for people who don't know anything about parrots, grays are really one of the smartest birds, the most, the, the widest vocabularies. Um, they're really fascinating little creatures. They're, they're a lot of fun to interact with unless you get a mean one. Like we had up the, at the uh, vet's office who, absolutely hated me uh, <laughs> we had a great relationship before i started working there and then i think once i started wearing the scrubs she was just like nope you're you're on the enemy team now and uh oh no uh, yeah you don't want to be bitten by a gray they that doesn't feel very good how long do they live what's that how long do they live a long time 40 50 years oh wow yeah long yeah. time to hold a grudge then well, yeah, and and it's it's a lot of responsibility, and I think that I mean in, to to get serious here, you know, that's something that really you should think about before you purchase a bird. That you may be buying a bird that outlives you, um, and and so that's definitely something you need to take into consideration. That's how the the gray came to be at the vet's office. It was one of the owners parents who passed away and so uh, became their bird and so um but yeah so parrots are, are a huge uh, responsibility and they do they live a really long time sometime longer than us um yeah, now you said those are the ones that have the widest vocabulary what's the the average words that they can learn i don't even know i i'm not sure i mean they can they can learn pretty much anything they want to but you know when you're dealing with a parrot you got to remember you're also dealing with their uh, their personality they aren't dogs so you don't you don't just give them a command. It's it's also you're working with a, a very unique and and uh, sometimes stubborn personality. It's like it's like working with Katie. You know they're stubborn and you know. <laughs> when I was researching them to find out about their vocabulary, I did specific things like trying to research how quickly they could learn new words. Mm. And it turned out that every resource I found said. It really depends on the birds. Some of them pick things up very quickly and others take forever. And and I know several people told me and I read from several different sources that they will speak in someone else's voice. So mm -hmm. 
What they can yep. do? Wow, they can do crazy. impressions. Yes, that yeah. is crazy. Oh well, my goodness! You, you never met Bella, our uh, umbrella cockatoo, either, Katie. But uh, she was she was hilarious, and she loved me. Hated my kids, which is why Bella no longer lives here because it was a bad situation. But I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, giant umbrella cockatoo. She used to be on the show all the, all the time, and and she had a lot of a lot of words, a lot of sounds. But some of them, like when she did her laugh, she did it in like the creepy horror villain oh, yeah. voice, and it was, it was really kind of scary. I mean, waking up to that kind of thing, it's not nice. <laughs> No, I, I can't imagine that was fun. <laughs> no, it's it's really not uh, not fun at all. But man, she sure was cool, and I and I really liked having her on the show because she was just you know a fun thing to talk about now and again. But yeah, well, and uh, Rebecca had chimed in too on uh, ages for for parrots. You know, fifty-ish years. She said her friend had a one-legged gray, sweet and all, soft and a total hoot. Loved Andy Griffith, Griffith too, and yelling mm -hmm. at dogs. I mean, really, that's that's the dream life for a parrot right there. <laughs> so All right, so speaking of animals and stories. Yes, yes, animals and stories. And I was supposed to, to tell you, somebody said, Grace says, love Kelly's necklace. And I, oh, I feel yes. like maybe there's a story behind the necklace. Thank you, thank you. Uh, there is actually a story behind this necklace. I was visiting some friends. I used to live in the Chicago area. And so I had an uh, avid writer community and a lot of friends there. And while I was visiting after I had moved away, I just saw this in one of the high-end stores and I fell in love with it. And I hemmed and hawed and my friend said, well, can't you think of an excuse to do it? And I finally realized if I was writing a series called the Undercover Cat Mystery Series, and if I wore this when I was promoting it, it seemed to me to be a legitimate business expense. And so this is part of my uh, writer's uniform. I always am able, people will compliment the necklace and I'll be able to segue and say, oh yes, and I write these mystery books and they're titled Undercover Cat and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's an opening to talk to them about the books. That is perfect. It's genius because you get something you absolutely love and it's a business expense. So it gets, and, it, and it works. It gets the conversation started <laughs> with new people. Well, and that's why I had to buy the Harley a few years ago, because, you know, for my author profile, I had to have the, the bad boy look for a couple of books. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I believe it. it's I the same totally... thing. IRS didn't agree with me, but, you know, what? you, you don't always win. But, you, you know, know it's transportation, you too. So. <laughs> well, so I, I really want to know you about a better that. accountant. <laughs> <laughs> now, we haven't written off our van yet, okay. but I did write off the the. Uh, branding the wrap that put my logo on the van and we, we kind of oh, call yeah. it it's not really a mystery mobile it's certainly not colored like the great mystery mobile from scooby-doo uh, but since i write murder mysteries we named her mrs hudson wow. and we were not I able to get we couldn't get the license plate that said 221b but we were able to get baker street so <laughs> okay. cool. my license is baker street and the name is mrs hudson and that's on the front uh, of the van I love it. Well, and, and I'm curious is because it, it's the undercover cat series. Are they, is the detective, I mean, are, is the detective a cat? I mean, is this like anthropomorphic cat or, or tell me, that tell me about that. towards putting animals in stories. There we go. It came full <laughs> no, circle. That's a great question. Um, actually in the first book, my main character adopts a cat uh, from her murdered boss and the cat becomes pivotal in solving the mystery of who killed the boss. 
Now, she also, in the course of things, she starts out as a scientist, uh, pr predominantly because I'm a scientist in real life, and I wanted to see myself and somebody like me reflected in a book, so I had to create that. Um, and then when she goes undercover, she uses her middle name, which is Catherine, and so she goes undercover as Cat Holmes. Um, she is Dr. Watson. It was not done deliberately, but when I realized that that actually was like Sherlock Holmes, I played it for all it was worth. And her cat's name is Sherlock now. And he's of course sure that he has solved all of the mysteries. In fact, I wrote a short story what I put up for free on many of the digital marketplaces that's called According to Sherlock, where he explains how he is really actively involved in these things and that he's very, very busy protecting his person against what he feels is a threat and a danger. Uh, so he has his own personal Moriarty, if you will, that he's oh. protecting her against. Oh, that's okay. awesome. I love that. Now, <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds wonderful. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love that. Now, who are these books geared toward? What, what age range? So they're adult books, um, mostly readers of cozy mysteries. So, I would say 18 to 97 or so, <laughs> if you what like if reading. What if you're 98, though? Well, nope. you might need a note from your doctor. No. <laughs> Are you sure you're healthy enough for reading? Well, Are you I'm healthy enough to read murder mysteries that might make you afraid of the people around you? Well, I've got to. I've got to tell you, my uh, my grandmother, who is who is not ninety eight. I, I actually don't know how old she is. I think that she's probably around ninety. I don't know. She's she's an old lady. She's sweet and amazing. Love grandma, but um, she absolutely loves the the cozy mysteries. Um, so I'm thinking that she might really really dig one of these. Well, yeah. she might. I that would be wonderful if yeah. she jumps I'll, in the pool there. Yeah, I'll have to uh, to send her over one. That'll that'll be fun. She's always said I was over at her house this morning, and she sent me with always sends me with a big paper bag full of books home every time I visit there. I'm like, where are you getting these? You don't really leave the house. You know? Can your family adopt me? Like, the more I hear about your family, the more I just want to be in your family. They're pretty cool sounding. Yes. Yeah. They, I, I they are extra cool, cool members in my family, or extra comma cool members in my family. I have some, but. I need more. <laughs> in fact, um, so I jokingly in these books, I, I had to, I started out with the animal characters, as you know, and one of the characters, and this was based on a real life thing that happened. Uh, I worked in a corporate campus in the Chicago area. And on this corporate campus, we had Canadian geese all the time. Now they are adorable when they're goslings and when they grow up, they are mean. They are. And they were everywhere and it got to be winter and they didn't care. And they would swim in the pond that was part of the decor of this wonderful complex where I worked. Uh, and when I started, the the management had taken a plastic alligator and put it in the middle of the pond to try to scare away the geese. The story goes that it worked for a while and then it stopped working because apparently some goose was brave enough to check it out and it didn't get eaten. And so that was um, not a good job anymore. Damn it. <laughs> so eventually they hired a guy to come out with his dog and let the dog play on the grounds and chase the geese and chase the geese away. And so I said, this is, this is too cool. I've got to write this into the book. And of course mm -hmm. um, I use that corporate headquarters as a setting for where I did everything uh, to springboard off for my visual, because I'm not highly visual myself. I like to have real life models to build my visual images mm -hmm. off of. 
So I had this and I ran a contest and I said, I need somebody to name the dog. And I got so many good suggestions. I had to write a litter of puppies into the book so that everybody that gave me a good suggestion could have part of the dog named after them or, you know, yeah. have their dog name in. And then the, the prize was that they got to have a character name in there. And okay. so that's how I got some of my fun characters. But then I had to get, um, we called the business D-O-G, standing for dog on guard. And the D-O-G oh. business went and guarded corporate campuses and made money. And so I had to have an owner for that. And I wrote a, a recurring character or a pair of characters who own this quirky little place called The Barkery, which is a dog treat bakery with a grooming salon and party rooms and other things. So the Barkery always features in there and there's always some crazy idea going on. And if I need to have my character find out more about different animals, she goes to the Barkery. Nice. I love that. And I'll tell you what, that's a darn good way of keeping your readers coming back too, because they, they mm -hmm. find these fun little connections and they're like, Oh, well, I want to, I want to see more of this. And there's more fun little connections down the road. That's, that's just fantastic. I love that idea. Well, and you, you said you're, you're a scientist in, in the, the quote unquote real world, whatever that is these days, but what, what kind of scientist were you? So I'm a chemist and okay. I'm actually a certified chemist geek because I have a PhD, nice. um, which, you know, I can use to impress people if I want, but it, Dr. Kelly. So anyway, that's what I do in my day job. And I work in the water treatment industry. So that may sound foreign to you, but just to stand on my soapbox for 30 seconds, everything that you touch or use in your daily life has a water component to it in terms of, oh, you think that wasn't processed and cooled with water? <laughs> but we use water to make everything. And so we all have water footprints as well as carbon footprints. And I like to talk about how it really impacts everything we do. So it's it's a fun thing. Well, be, real quick, though, we should explain to Katie what water is. I'm not sure that they are aware of that out in Las Vegas. Have you seen water before, that Katie? stuff that you recycle very carefully. <laughs> I know what water is. It's just I don't know how it falls from the sky. <laughs> You've probably not seen that very often, have you? No, no, almost never. You know, blame it on those folks in Northern California because they're using 80% of your um, state's water to water all those crops. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Damn Californians, more reason to hate them. <laughs> not kidding, not kidding. <laughs> Joking, no. I don't hate Californians, but oh. I, I do blame them for all traffic issues though. No, what, what, what do they grow up there besides pot and grapes? Um, they actually supply 20% of the nation's food. So, uh, Holy cow. yeah, that almonds, almond milk, you know, yeah. is, a, is a huge crop and it's a really water intensive crop. And uh, I think they grow rice. Okay. Uh, and those are crops that are all very water intensive. I think you should grow them like in the, the Southeast where they have floods all the time so that they can help control the floods and we can maybe grow some less water intensive things up in Northern California. But really just about any farmland, it's really, um, if you could grow it in the Midwest, you'll grow it up in, in Northern California as well. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, and, and so you, you said you work, work in the, the water treatment industry. Are you like, what, what kind of role do you play? Are you finding better ways to, to treat water that's being recycled or, or what do you do? 
Uh, so I work for a company that works in the industrial sector and in large hotels and hospitalities and data centers. And what we do is make the water that they use, which is predominantly used for cooling down processes. Hmm. We work to make that water more useful and to let them reuse it over and over and over again. And I actually have uh, partnered with a couple of other people in my corporation and we have patented a process that is going to be very helpful in removing um, materials that are in the water and letting it become clean enough to be reused even more. And I would tell you more, but I can't because the patented mm -hmm. parties won't let me. Okay. Right. That's amazing. That's the word, but good things are on the way, right? That's exciting. It, yes. And that's one reason why I keep the day job because it really is a fun job. Uh, it's a great source of inspiration. I have a wonderful group of people that I work with. Um, and it supplies me money to be able to come out and promote my books more effectively to the world and to get time to go out and travel to see my readers and do events. So I probably will stay in that job and the writing job for a good while yet to come. Well, and let's, it's, uh, let's circle back, though, to that. And, and how did you get started in no, writing? No, no, no. No, no, okay. why no. not? No, because I wanted to. I wanted to ask her. I wanted to ask Kelly something before you asked her that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, what I was going to ask you is, you know, I really, you know, it seems like you were in a really technical job. How did you end up getting started writing? Uh, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it's it's odd. I have one of those brains. I have learned that actually goes both ways, the technical and the creative side. Now, fortunately, right now, my boss happens to love that about me, which is a cool thing. <coughs> but honestly, I grew up reading. My mother read to me when I was a little girl. I grew up reading myself. And there were some difficult parts of my childhood where there were, you know, normal child stresses with, with parents and uh, we won't go into that here, but suffice it to say that I began to create imaginary worlds where everything worked out right and all of the things that were supposed to happen happened. And I like to escape into those worlds. So that was the beginning. And then I got to the point where I would read a book or watch a movie. And if I didn't like the way it ended, when I went to bed that night, in my mind, I would recreate the ending. So there's an alternate ending to Romeo and Juliet because of course they didn't really die. This was an elaborate hoax because I liked it my way. And at some point I realized that meant I'm probably a writer. And I always had fun writing short things. And then um, it was actually after I was married, my husband said, why don't you just try doing it as a profession? I wrote a fan letter to one of my favorite authors who I knew lived in the area where I lived. And she introduced me to a professional writing organization, which I became a member of. And the minute I got into a group of other writers where I was constantly around creative people, the books just started flowing. Well, and it's it's funny listening to you, and I'm, I'm sure everyone else can pick this up as well. It seems like you're looking at life and you're observing life, but you're you're taking the the fun and quirky and and the best parts of everything to use in your work. And I think that that's kind of cool. And I and I say that without having read your books, so I could have just made a very foolish statement. I mean, if your if your books are full of grisly violence, but it, it sounds like you've really taken a lot of you know fun, cool stuff out of real life and and used them for what you're working on. 
you're, you're kind of spot on. I like to have fun with my books. I like that to be a world where you can laugh, you can enjoy yourself. Uh, once upon a time, many years ago, it was really, you, you know, we writers, we're all super insecure. We think nobody's going to love us and people are going to hate our work. And if somebody says something bad, an internal part of us cringes and folds down. But we learn to hide that part, right? We learn to put up a front that's a little more bulletproof. So I was at one of the national writing conferences and I had an agent talk to me and she said, I think you have a talent for humor, but I think you need to push it harder because not everybody has this, but here's what you do. And as agents have said, and others have said, if a writer goes too far with an emotion or humor or any topic, a good editor can always pull that writer back. But if the writer doesn't go far enough, a good editor can't make you get there. And so I started trying to work on that and hone that a little bit and see if I could develop that as part of my voice. And that's really the root of it. Well, I, like I like that, that. because it's very true. Yeah. You know, when, when you have a, an editor on your team who <clears throat> wants to see the book succeed and is going to give you a lot of advice on what to do to fix it because you're the author, you have to be willing to take that advice and run with it. And that can sometimes feel like you're being attacked because they yes. are not seeing the, the book the way you wrote it. They're seeing it a different way. And you might be tied to the way you wrote it and not willing to, to move on and see the bigger vision. But if you can, the both of you together will make that book a whole lot better. And the, the writers out there that learn that lesson do really well. And those that think they can do everything on their own usually end up with a cobbled together project that's going to have weaker spots than those who don't. And with me now doing independent publishing, it's interesting because I don't have an editorial team from a major publisher at this point. I have to build my own editorial team. And, and for many, many years, I had an agent and I had to work with her and I accepted all of her ideas because when I hire a professional, I hire them, and I think I should pay attention to what they're saying because that's their job, and my job is to listen, and if I don't like it, I need to find somebody else. So finding the right editor that understands you and where you're going and yet can push you to do better and better is a trick. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, so I've got a series of books coming out later in this year, which is going to be more romance and not so much of the mystery, although there's a slight mystery thread in those as well. And I remember at one point my editor said, no, I think this scene needs to go further. I think you need this or this. And after I went through the angst and I went through the work, I wrote a note in the comment section and I said, thank you for pushing me because you're right. It's much better now. I needed that and I love the result. Oh, that's, that, that's awesome. And you know what? That's exactly what we say. <laughs> To, to people when we're talking about getting an editor you just you you find an editor that you can trust and then you trust them you know? finding someone you can trust is hard and you go through wrong ones once in a while too mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, i'm looking for an editor right now because i i don't have somebody i can trust they're just they don't know what they're doing they're kind of unreliable I, I think it's their first time editing wow really. There are yeah, a lot of people that with their editors and they're proofreaders right who's going to kill you <laughs> She's not joking about that cattle prod. <laughs> it, our, my uh, well, my my publisher is actually here in the uh, in the comments. That's Rebecca Jonesy who uh, says you sound hella cool. 
Oh, um, that's sweet. Thank you, Rebecca. Yes, Re Rebecca is is a is a sweetheart, and she could be a, a taskmaster too. She's uh, she's really taking it easy on me though, Katie. I think it's because she knows that my anxiety is so bad that I fall apart. <laughs> oh shit. She says she's coming to Michigan. That's I told good. you you're in trouble. <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to have so to go Jay, guys. <laughs> Jay, let me give you my, my tip. You know, everybody will talk about what do you do when you get writer's block? And I don't know that I ever get writer's block, but I get the, I don't want to work um, thing going on in my head. And when I get the I don't want to work thing, I start shrinking my goals down and make them smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The smallest goal to date has been go to your computer, turn it on, open up the file where the manuscript is, open the manuscript. You've reached your goal. You can quit now. And I have to go that small to actually get back in the track and get things done. Yeah. Well, and all and all joking aside, I think that, you know, for for those of us that that have a lot of anxiety or sometimes run into things that are called writer's block, what some people call writer's block, um, you know, people who have difficulty with uh, productivity sometimes, I think that setting small goals for yourself is really important. You know, some some days getting out of bed and doing the dishes and, and cooking breakfast for the family is most of what I can get accomplished. You know, other days I'm really, really productive and I can get work done outside and I can get some writing done or some sewing done and, it, and it's a good day. But, you know, making sure that I'm not asking too much of myself is something that I've only recently learned to do because otherwise I just, I'll and, grind right to a halt. And you can't beat yourself up when you are in those phases because we all have high energy phases and low energy phases. I used to joke, and, and for the science geeks out there, I said my energy and my productivity is sinusoidal. I've got these peaks and I've got these valleys. And I had a boss who said, yes, and my my goal is to get the amplitude to be much smaller, which means the difference between the highs and the lows to be small. But we all do have these times when I've had days when I wrote 40 pages in a day. And I've had days when I wrote two day, two two sentences and that was it. And mm -hmm. I know that there will always be a 40 page day coming down the road if I can just get through the two sentence days. Mm -hmm. And I try to adjust my expectations so they're realistic. If life throws a bunch of junk at me and I've had family health problems and, and issues that are non-related to either of my jobs that I've had to juggle and deal with, I expect that I keep moving forward in the other jobs, but I expect that I won't get there as fast as I would have liked under other circumstances. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And, and if we're circling back to the, the editor relationship, because you, you say it's hard to find an editor that you, me that you mesh with, it's not just answering to whatever your editor says. It's right. the ability to communicate with your editor and go, okay, this is your point. Let me talk you through what I was thinking. Where can we kind of figure this out together? Because an editor may not always be right either when they suggest something. They're making suggestions that they feel will help the book. But if they don't have the right vision, then it's not going to, to take the book in the right direction. So it's not just finding an editor that's going to push you. It's finding an editor that you're going to communicate with and that you can work together to make that book that much better. 
Well, and there are different editors that that prefer to work in different genres too, mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah, you know, that are more comfort more comfortable in horror or in in literary type stuff or in drama. And it it makes sense to pick an editor in the genres that you write in. And if an editor does say something about your work, or it it means fundamentally that something about this point made them stop and stumble a little bit. So you're correct, Katie. They may not have the right solution. But they're pointing out that there's a thing that mm -hmm. stopped me and something, and sometimes there's nothing to do. It's just something within them that stopped them. But usually there's a way you can smooth a transition or help a person get into the story a little bit better. And if you listen to yourself and the more skill you have and the more you've worked with other writers and beta readers and different people, you will begin to understand, oh yeah, I now I'm starting to see what's stopping the person. And now I have an idea of how to fix it. And then sometimes you go to your editor and say, here's what I was thinking. That's clearly not what you got. What could I do that would orient you to what I was trying to get across? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes they'll say, oh, now I get it. Yeah, if you change three words over here and add this phrase, I'll get it next time. Yep. Sometimes That's it's that easy. And sometimes your editor too, when they're, they're reading, because this happens to me a lot, as I'm going through a new manuscript, I'll see something and it'll make me pause. And I will comment in the notes as I'm reading that first time through. Okay, I stopped here. I don't understand this. I don't see why you're doing this. This doesn't make sense. And then two or three paragraphs down, maybe even the next chapter, there's the aha moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now I see why you did that. But like you said, if I'm, if I'm stopping because it, it stopped me, it made it, you know, uh, a point that I just didn't understand. We've got to go back and you have to smooth that out there. And right. so I will usually leave the comment on both sides. Here's where I stopped. Here's where I picked it up. Now you've got to figure out the transition between the two. Well, I think that my first time ever working with a professional editor was uh, Jessica West. And I, th I think that Jessica has been on the show at one time a couple of years ago, but um, lovely person and really hard ass editor. Um, yeah, Jessica knows her shit and she does not mess around. Um, but I was, it was intimidating for me, um, going through it, um, because I, I felt, I felt very small looking at the comments, like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. Um, and, but you know, most of the time I just, you know, I agreed with her because she's a pro, she knows what she's doing. So I would go through and, uh, and agree with her changes. And then when I got to a couple places where I'm like, well, I don't know that I agree with this because I had a specific intention for this. And kind of like you said, Kelly, you know, I, I sent her a note and I said, Hey, this is why I had this. And she's like, well, that didn't really come across. We just need to change it around a little bit. And it was all good. And that's all there is to it. You know, they're not, evil creatures that want to steal your ideas and destroy your manuscript. They want to make it better, you know, cause you're paying them. Oh. But if we can find a way to make ourselves feel miserable and small, we'll do it. We're really yeah, good. Right, we will. <laughs> you know what I've adopted lately is my, my method for calling out authors while I'm, I'm going through their manuscript in a nice way that makes them laugh. I use memes. I post memes in my comments. <laughs> Just to get a little giggle, to, to like diffuse the situation before, okay, this is what's going on. There's one of the manuscripts, the crutch is they, they shove every door open. Mm -hmm. Every single door is shoved open. I'm, and I found the meme of the house with the two windows and the, the door that looks like it's going. 
<laughs> and I would mark that every so often. I'm like, what are you doing to this poor dog? <laughs> Just because it gets a laugh and it diffuses that you're attacking me feeling. And, and actually there are professional speakers then there's a technique that says when you laugh, your brain defenses sort of drop and your brain is now receptive to ideas. And so you've actually hit on exactly how to open that mind up and let people see the idea that you're getting across without feeling attacked or defensive. That's and, awesome. and the responses are generally, they, they're very good. I, when they come back to me on their second pass, they're like, okay, I see what I did there. Or sometimes they want to steal the memes that I post in the, the comments because they were funny enough. But it, it generally goes over well. I don't, I don't get a lot of pushback at all. You know, you know, and it's I'm funny. I'm out a lot of crutches at that point too. So, yeah. you know, I worry that sometimes I feel like I'm being too nitpicky. Well, that's that. That's that's your job, and that's that's what you get paid for. And even yeah. if we don't want to see it, like I know you don't always want to see it when someone tears apart your work. But oh, no. you know, we, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's part of growing as authors in. You know, we're talking about me an awful lot, but uh, I had therapy this week, so I guess it's all on my mind. But you know, when when you when you have someone who's really insecure and really anxious, it can be really difficult to work with them. Um, and I and I say that being the person that's anxious and insecure and sympathizing with the people that I have to work with me, because it's like you know, you you've got to tread kind of lightly, but at the same time, you need to get your your points across, otherwise you know, I can't grow and I can't learn. And, and I've, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm old enough now that I've, I've realized that, you know, there's more that I don't know than I do know. And so when, when I do receive criticism or when I hear an argument that is better than what I have in my head, I try to um, accept that and learn from it. And, and just a couple days ago um, on the other podcast, Unafraid, which Katie and I are both representing, uh, which is awesome. Uh, Unafraid is my podcast where we talk about all sorts of uh, LGBTQ issues. Um, and it's a really good time. And I had a, a woman on that I, I never spoke to before, Autumn Ivy. And uh, side note, she was my she is my most famous, I guess you could say, so far uh, guest. She's a, a, a famous model and cosplayer. So it was, it was a... It was a, it was a little crazy. I was like, "Whoa!" Will she cosplay my major character for me? You know, Will she you might her? if you ask her. It, she's also a bodybuilder. I mean, she was cool. she was like the whole package. Holy cow! But uh, but there was a couple times, and it wasn't my it wasn't my most on point interview ever. I I felt like that whole day I'd been a little off my game. And so when we were talking, there was times where I'd say something, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, you know, I don't think I said that quite right. And this woman, most fabulous public speaker, I think that I've ever interviewed. It was amazing where she would listen to what I said and she would kind of talk around what I had said in, in a way that was like teaching me. It, it was like teaching me something else, another way to think of it without actually saying, this isn't right. She would, she would ex explain some, it was just gorgeous. I mean, I was, I was so happy with the way that went because I was like, wow, that is, that is someone who knows their shit right there. I mean, it was very, very impressive. So I kind of took this down a, down well, a weird side street, but, but yeah. You was, said something cool. really important, Jay. And you said, as you get older, you realize there's a lot of things you don't know. Yeah. And one of, 
the things that I learned, oh, too many years ago to put a number on for this show. But I was talking to a boss and I said, I feel so stupid these days. And this person said to me, when you feel that way, that's when you're operating at the very limits of your abilities. And that's when you're the most successful. You're as successful as you can be. And then and there, I said to myself, I am going to get comfortable with feeling stupid. And the minute I let myself feel stupid and I feel stupid a lot, I got much better at everything because wow. it's okay. There are a lot of things I don't know and I can be dumb about it and I can either find out how to do it or say in the case of books. So I don't want to find out how to format and upload because I'm stupid about it and I don't have time and I want to hire somebody. So I found somebody and hired somebody. I don't want to edit. I can't edit my own books anyway. I don't you never want edit your to design my covers. I can't design covers. That's not within my skill set. I write. So I hire people that I like, that I trust to do these things, and then I listen to them. So well, and if you think about your time, if you think about your time being valuable, you know, your time has worth. If you don't know how to do something, is it worth more of your time to learn it? Or is it worth more of your time to find somebody to do it so you can be productive in something you do know how to do? It's, you know, cost benefit analysis. I have a story about and that. If it too, creates Katie. stress for you, it's something that you should find someone you trust to do it for you. Damn I would right, rather right. work extra days at the day job and pay somebody to do some of the tasks associated with this that I don't want. And now, mm -hmm. Jay, I interrupted you. Back to you. No, I that's that's kind of my game is where I just interrupt people. That's how I roll here. So I'm I'm very comfortable with that. And I just got to say, I'm thinking that, you know, this shirt with this jacket on, it makes me look a lot more slender than I actually am. I'm I'm really I'm liking how, how I look it. over here. The jacket okay. trick really well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like it a lot. And uh, you're making you're making quite an impression on our uh, on our audience. Everyone seems to to really like you. And, and I think that that's awesome um oh yeah well, my, my i hope people here. find my website it's under reconstruction right now so if it's clunky i apologize i'm paying somebody to do this and anyway uh but you know yeah. find my website it's it's kelly z riley.net and um or my facebook page or something because i love meeting new people and it's always fun to have new people in my reader group on facebook or on my page and get to know them and um, get new ideas. So it would be wonderful to meet you and, and know more about all of you. Well, and, and for your, those your of you who are watching will... now or later, look in the show notes below yep. this video on YouTube and her website is right there. So it's just a click yep. away. Yep, for sure. And, uh, and and my story that I wanted to, to tell you guys is uh, what you were just talking about is if it causes you stress to do, maybe it's a good, you know, or um, cost benefit uh, learning versus, mm -hmm. versus hiring something else. Okay, so we just got an embroidery machine. We're pretty excited about this. Uh, we're gonna use it to make some some cute little stuff for an Etsy shop. However, it's a very, there's a lot more to it than people think. Um, you know, you can design things up, that's fun. I can do that, my wife can, we're both graphic artists. Katie can, I know a million people now who are, who are amazing graphic artists. Um, However, in order to turn it into an embroidery file, you have to do something called digitizing it, which is a pretty involved process that if you don't know what you're doing, you're very likely to screw it up. And the software 
the inexpensive software is about $1,000. The really good software is about $2,000. So we're talking thousands of dollars with a very steep learning curve. And then I was thinking, well, there are these websites where people post ads for, hey, I, I will do this for you for money. One of them is uh, Upwork. There's also Fiverr. So I got on there and I did some searching and sure enough, for five, 10 bucks, someone will actually professionally digitize your files for you. And I was like, this is a great solution for me because we want, you know, a dozen or so images for our brand that we're going to put on different things. Hell, if I can pay somebody to do that, give them work and take stress off me. That is a freaking win-win right there. So I'm all about that cost benefit. <laughs> I, I have one more tip for you. Yeah. Because I bought a sewing machine that would do embroidery thinking I knew what I was doing and could learn it. <laughs> if if you're not sure, please wear safety glasses while you're working on it. Because uh, I broke like three or four needles and needles none of them went into my eye. But wear safety glasses just because. <laughs> I, should, I should tell my wife there uh, upstairs. Yeah. Uh, that because we just got this last night and she's working on a very complicated project and i know she's probably hovering over the machine like that i, I did something really stupid about some piece and when i went to take a lesson at the machine shop they they showed me what stupid thing i had done and i realized that here is yet another thing that's not in my primary skill set so <laughs> well there's there's a lot to learn when it comes to sewing or embroidery or or arts and crafts of any kind or writing you know and i think that getting advice from from people who have made mistakes really is what helps us to grow because that's how we normally grow you know if all you see is successes you're not going to to better yourself at all but when you screw up you definitely learn something there Oh yeah. And we've, we've talked about our screw ups over the years and our, our learning curve. And honestly, that's how I got started with freelances. I didn't have the money to pay someone else to do the work. I had to learn it myself and trial and error and screwed up many times along the way, but I learned new ways, better ways, faster ways to do things. And now it's a skill that I can provide. I'm actually learning to do some things that I thought I would never enjoy doing um, or be able to do. And there's this old Zen saying that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I kind of think that that's true because if someone had tried to teach me how to go through and figure out how to change the link for my book on my website, I would have said, no, don't want to do that. Oh, someone likes my mug. Thank you. I think it's so cool. Um, but I learned to do it. I'm really, really proud of myself for learning to do that. And when I was ready to learn, I was able to learn. Yeah, that's the other thing too. You have to have the mindset of, of wanting to learn something or whatever you're trying to learn will go in one ear and out the other. Just mm -hmm. literally, like the second you read it, it's gone. Well, and you typically know when you're in that state of mind too, I think. Uh, when you're when you're feeling just a a little bit not I don't know I don't know a good way what's a good way to describe that Katie when you're in that mood where you're just not going to learn from anyone stubborn stubborn overwhelmed okay. obstinate yeah middle of the whirlwind <laughs> but you know I think most of us get when we're in that mood and I think it takes a 
takes a little bit of self-awareness to be able to say, to remove yourself from that situation and say, okay. And say, I need sleep now. I need food now. I need alone time. I need something. I'm not ready to handle this task now. Yeah. I can do it when I've taken care of whatever else I need to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there, you know, there are days that like, right now I'm uh, I'm in the middle of editing a, a book that you know maybe will come out someday. <laughs> someday is it the one book? Is it the one book? The yes, the one that you were that you offered us all your uh, insights on. So uh, Rebecca just sent, sent it over to me. She made her changes, and uh, and so I'm I'm going through it uh, on my iPad, reading it, uh, you know, in the evenings and in the mornings when I'm I'm usually the most the most chill and I can just kind of process things and, you know, make a highlight and a note here and there. Um, but, but I also know that I'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and time to put it down for a little while. And yes, it does affect productivity, but you know, I, if anything, if anything, if I've learned anything, it's, but my mental health has got to come first and I can't just hard charge stuff like I used to try to. I mean, and I was so way so productive back in the day. And I, I feel like kind of a lump now, but I'm like, nope, nope, that that led you down a really dark, terrible path. And I can't go back there, you know. Yeah. Ebbs and flows. So what do you write, Jay? So oh Katie, what do what do I write, Katie? What would you call it? Jay lives in the horror thriller realism i wouldn't call it urban fantasy paranormal definitely paranormal see this is part of the problem right here is that it doesn't doesn't have a good clear definition it's not easy to market (laughs) well paranormal thriller is a, a definition but i i think it goes beyond that Regine says psychological. Yeah, there's okay. some psychological elements to the story we're talking about, and definitely to some of your other ones, too. Yeah. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about the fact that the industry has really gone over to self publishing being a very legitimate place where a lot of highly professional people now work. Mm-hmm. And um, for years, I submitted things to different editors and agents. And when I had an agent, she submitted things to uh, publishing houses. And I would get these wonderful rejection letters that said, we really love this, but sorry, we can't take it. And what they were saying was they don't know how to slot things that don't fit in one narrow slice necessarily. And if you blur lines and someone said on, on some of these books, I got one of my favorite reviews said, um, it kind of blurs the line between a cozy mystery and a traditional mystery because Mm. it pushes the envelope. I like that but a publisher might not know how to slot it. Chris, my favorite rejection for this series came from a smaller, well, it's not really smaller. It's a reasonable size house. They said that they would really like it, but it had science and it wasn't merch enough. And I thought to myself, somebody, my my watch just chimed in on there and I didn't need it. So so I went to somebody and I said, I know science doesn't sell well because they have tried with that CSI thing for like 10 or 15 years in six or seven different variations and clearly it's not working. So it was an interesting experience. So I had to laugh at myself. And I had to laugh at the publisher for saying it wouldn't work because it works pretty well. Well, I, 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 that's, that's all the more selling point 
for me right there for your books. And, and I like, gosh, what was the, um, you, you said it was like halfway between cozy, um, cozy and regular mystery. And it, yes, I think traditional was the word the reviewer used. I think that that's such, that's such a good description because, because it tells me what kind of book this is. And I think that if more books had great descriptions like that, it'd be so much easier for readers to. to so we made them. some conscious decisions on the first one. Um, the, I, love that cover. Yeah, I twist it and move it away from the camera. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> because there was a science angle and I have a scientist character and I talk a little geeky stuff in here. I didn't want to off put any, traditional cozy reader and so we made the cover very friendly we put the cupcake front and center and and just did a lot of things to make it not seem frightening because if we put glass speakers and everything else it might have turned aside a traditional cozy reader well, hold that hold that up again i i want to just kind of dissect the cover a little bit because i absolutely love the design on this i like how you've got the atom so there's the science angle right there front and center but you've got the cat paws going around it, which is adorable. Cat paw electrons I love. It That is absolutely adorable. So you've got a lot of whimsy on the cover. You've got that cat front and center as part of the title. That's beautiful. Again, a little elements of whimsy. The cupcake is beautiful. I, the, the layout and again, the margins of it are nice and clean. The title, the subtitle, the author name, everything is nice and easy to read. It's a very appealing, easy to understand cover. And uh, so I worked with uh, sweet and spicy designs for mm -hmm. these covers and the designer actually helped me come up with the logo. The logo went through a number of different iterations and I'm gonna give a shout out to my local writers group. We call ourselves the Crazy Buffet Club. Every year we put out an anthology of short stories, which I use to get my creative juices running again. And um, so it's called the Crazy Buffet. I think the first one was Crazy Buffet and then there was Crazy Buffet Barbecue Edition. And it was named after a restaurant that we used to meet at. Mm -hmm. We have now driven two restaurants and one bookstore out of business by meeting there. <laughs> we're, we're meeting on Zoom, so if it goes out of business, you know why? <laughs> <laughs> but um, my crazy buffet club, they really went through lots of iterations of this logo with me and, and the ideas and the brainstorming. And I even have the notes from what I originally drew for my cover concept, which was a clunky, very bizarre rendition of this. But it, it ended up with this clear branding. So across every book, you've got the yeah the bar of color with the, the cats mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. So... We worked pretty hard on that, and my my group really came to it and and helped a great deal with elements. Someone said the science doesn't come through clear enough. We added the orbitals with the cat paw, so it worked out really well in the end. Well, I think it, it looks beautiful, and and it, it speaks to me towards that that cozy mystery genre, just because mm -hmm. that is the style of cover that you see a lot of times, especially when you move towards the paranormal end of the spectrum you see that that very whimsical, cartoonish, almost like the bewitched character. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. that style and it's well, very popular. And I, and I love the consistency from one book to the next. It, it really tells people that, you know, it, it really says, this is my brand. You know, this is definitely the next book in the series. You're in the right place. You're looking at the right cover. And I think it's it's great. Well, and, and speaking of whimsical covers, I wanna show you guys something. Uh, 
since you were showing off your whimsical cover. Um, you know, this is this is my whimsical cover for my my last. I book. love that one. Um, I, super I whimsical, love that one. Uh, very cheerful, um, as you can see. It um, it's, but it does have gorgeous colors, and you know, it pops. It it, it does it does. Uh, Artie Cabrera, the uh, again the, uh, guy guy who did the cover for me. I, I was I was uh, really really happy with it, and it and it really spoke to the collection, which is which is more of a horror uh, collection and a lot of the uh, kind of doom and gloom. But but yeah, having something that represents your your style is so important. Hey, Katie, do you have one of your book covers you can show us? Oh, maybe um, the new Dissension ones, the new Chronicles of the Uprising, which are my favorite freaking covers ever. Um, no, so only, wait, hold on. Jane's new one, though, um, is All also right, so I've got my three hardbounds. Ooh, so we've got the nice. Agents of Asset, book one, A Weapon of Magical Destruction. I like it. Book two, Taste of Your Own Magic. Yes. Very cleanly branded. Very beautiful branding. I love the branding. Uh, book three, Magic in Disguise. I don't have book four in hardbound. That's something on my to-do list to work on. And book five, I have figured out what was wrong with book five. So book five is moving forward. Good for you. Excellent. Well, and there's one more part of that branding that you didn't show off there. Isn't, isn't there a part of that branding right on you? Oh, yeah. My. <laughs> Your tree of life. on screen. <laughs> That's cool. That was actually the um, initial image that, um, that that drew me, and I wanted that to be the symbol. And the main character, this is a birthmark on the left wrist that appears when she comes into her legacy. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a fun series. That really sounds fun. Do do you all are you familiar with the author Mary Higgins Clark? Oh yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, so. I've got to tell you a story. One day I was visiting my parents and they had a small mobile home in a park down in Florida. And I was visiting them and I was reading a Mary Higgins Clark. I fell asleep. I dreamed that someone crawled through the window and was trying to attack me. Now, instead in my dream, I, in real life, I have a third degree black belt in martial arts. So you would think I would kick the snot out of somebody in my dream. I screamed so loudly the people in the trailer next door would have woken up if they'd been home. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, so Jen, as much as I think your branding looks beautiful, I probably better not read your book and certainly not when I'm alone because it would scare the hell out of me. Oh, I, I, definitely, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. They are, they are very dark. They are very dark. I don't like getting stuck in dark places, and it's it's yes. easy to do. I can get sucked into um, some of that, so I have to. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's where that. when it, when I wrote most of these, I've you know I'm, I'm a severely depressive person. You know, I, I have major depressive disorder, and so you know a lot of my writing reflects that. And so a lot of this was written in a really really dark place. And for people who enjoy horror or things that are made to mess with you mentally a little bit. You know, I, I think it's, it's good, but sometimes I know that I wouldn't want to read that kind of fiction. And, and sometimes I will tell you um, what one of my girlfriends said. She said about me, she said, writing is like therapy for you. You are a happier person when you're doing it. And I would imagine that writing is therapy for you as well. It, and, it is. It, yes. It sometimes is. she said, Go back to therapy. You need to write more. So go write your book. And that was our code. Um, 
I, I think that many of us can relate to that too, right? As, as, as writers or artists of any kind, you know, usually when you're doing your art, you're doing the thing that, that makes you feel a little bit more at peace. And once you put that fear or whatever it is you have into a tangible form, be it a book or a poem or a, a painting or any kind of art, then you can almost put it aside, put it on a shelf and know that you can come back to it later and it's safe. And then you don't have to obsess about it, or at least that yeah. is how I've experienced it. Yeah. Well, and I want to address uh, M M2Y Creations. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and they all, all my stories are all based on... Uh, for the most part, real life situations. And that's what I like to do. I like to take real life or things that I've seen or heard and kind of twist them around a little bit. Um, but yes, M2Y creations. I like horror, not torture scenes though. Um, I have two really big triggers uh, for me. Um, and that is torture, uh, torture of innocent people rather, and someone being wrongfully imprisoned. Um, both of those things are major triggers for me both in movies, in real-life documentaries, especially the real-life stuff, and in books. Um, they're difficult for me to read. And so for the most part, you don't find those type of things in, in my stories. There are some graphic or horrible things now and again. Um, but, you know, sometimes sometimes the worst horror to me is what our own minds can, can do to them. You know, there was a story where, you know, a, a little girl was kind of trapped by her own fears, you know, things that didn't even exist in the outside worlds, but they were torturing her. And uh, um, it was, it was horrible for her. And I, I think that in a big way, I, I felt like that little girl when I was writing it, you know, I, I cried all through writing it and it was just a really emotional experience for me. So M2Y, I, um, I definitely can relate. Torture scenes are very difficult um, if you're an empathetic person. When you can make yourself feel what you just said you felt as you wrote, I think that means that you can make your reader feel that. And I think that's huge for a writer to be able to do. I sure hope so. I mean, but, I don't, but, I don't want any of you guys to feel bad, but I mean, I, they definitely want you to feel something. You know, you know what I, my I, trigger is, right, Jay? What is your, your triggers is being told no. Nope. Nope. <laughs> what, is, what, what is my number one rule? uh don't kill the dog oh don't kill the dog, don't kill the dog. Yeah. yeah i have killed dogs my friends and i will tell you that i am one of the biggest animal lovers you're ever going to actually run into but i i have i have killed the dog in a story and i do feel bad about it but in my defense that was one of the real life events that <laughs> it actually happened and that's why it was in the story did rebecca uh, show you my comments every time the dog died <laughs> Yeah, those uh, those are always tough, though. They are, they are, you know. I kind of ran away with things there, Katie. I, I apologize. I, I do. I've been, I'm on this weird high after getting the embroidery machine, though. So I got to ride it until I crash, and then we'll see what happens. Do it, do it. Do it. Do when it. you crash, you'll be okay. We, yep. we are at the end, so we do need to pay homage to our second sponsor, who we know is in the chat room there, Miss Rebecca Jonesy. Excuse me. Mistress Rebecca, one day I'm going to say it right, Dirty Jonesy, you will be entertained. And she has some wonderful stories that she reads every Wednesday. So don't miss out. Find her on Facebook and check out her stories every Wednesday because she reads beautifully. And she's got some really cool stories. I love her fake characters. 
but she is our second sponsor. She helps us produce this show. The uh, gives us the ability to stream it to both Facebook and YouTube at the same time. So we love you, Rebecca. Thanks for being our sponsor. And she sponsors the Unafraid Show too, which Unafraid Show. Um, so yeah, Rebecca is, is amazing. She's a wonderful uh, ally and and a, just a, a great friend to have. So thank you so much, Rebecca. We appreciate you. Even though I was and talking mad shit earlier. <laughs> For those of you out there who are waiting, I saw Regine make a comment earlier. Yes, I know I skipped last week. I will be back this week with another reading from A Taste of Your Own Magic. So you have time to catch up. All of the previous readings are on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash And I will be reading two more chapters tomorrow at about 2 p.m. Pacific time. All right. Anybody have anything else before we take off for the week? Kelly, anything to... I I want to thank you all for having me here. It's been a blast. I have really enjoyed this. Great getting to know you better and so much fun getting to know some of the viewers here. It's been great. Thank you for coming. You are welcome back anytime, especially when you have some more of those wonderful stories to share with us. The minute I've got one, I'll let you know and we'll, we'll do it. I love being here. All right. And for those listening out there, if you are an author and would like to be on our show, please send a message to spilling ink show at gmail.com and request some calendar dates and we will try and get you accommodated. All right, Jay, I think that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week. We've got a really interesting author to bring on next week. So I'm excited. <laughs> thanks All for right. joining us, everybody. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye.